Hey friends, welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So we have talked a lot about meat on this podcast. It just tends to be a topic that comes up a lot. It's really interesting to discuss. And more often than not, we're talking about meat and butchering and all of that in the realm of beef. I mean, obviously, I love beef, we raise beef, but I feel like um, there's another aspect of meat production, especially on a homestead level, that often kind of gets forgotten about in some circles, or at least in my circles. And so that is this topic of pork, especially pastured pork. And how can we raise pigs on our homestead in a sustainable way, in an ethical way, in a way that's better for them and better for us? Uh, and so I am so excited to have with me today, Charles Mayfield. He is an expert in this realm. He is the founder of Pharaoh Skincare, the very first lard-based skincare company, which honestly... I had never heard of before he emailed me. So I'm really excited to talk about that. But he also uh, practices regenerative farming and has tons of experience in this world of raising pigs. So welcome, Charles. I'm so excited to have you. Great to be here, Jill. Thank you. Can you give us a little bit of background on your experience in the pig world? Kind of where, where you got into it and, and your passion for it and how that all started? Yeah, sure. So... I've got a little bit of background in nutrition through the cookbook lens. I got really into paleo. My uh, co-authored a number of cookbooks in the space. Love, love your cookbook, by the way. Oh, thank you. And um, uh, it, it, th th those are those are hard to put together. So I'm always very uh, respectful of those that have gone and done it. But yeah, uh, paleo uh, got got into the paleo scene back in like 2008, nine, ten. And that community, uh, after arguing over protein, carbs, and fat for a few years, uh, started to really point the needle towards uh, food access, food sustainability. Ran across um, ran across the likes of Joel Salatin, Polyface yes. Farms, the the Weston A. Price Foundation. Um, you know, a, n a number of, of uh, wonderful voices in the space of not only regenerative ag but but local uh, high quality food and. You know, in uh, 16, 2016, sort of decided to make the jump. Uh, I was living in Atlanta at the time, moved up. I'm from East Tennessee originally and sort of moved back up here and and got started. Um, I, I, if you hear me talk about Salison quite a bit, I am uh, forever grateful to him and his family. They've been uh, absurdly generous to me in my farming pursuits. And he's, uh, for your listener, he's put out an absolute ton of fantastic uh, content uh, through his books. Yes. And so it was that it was pastor poultry profits uh, and and a number of other books and started like so many do. I I would say that my scale uh, for pork and and poultry and beef production was maybe a notch or two above homesteader mm -hmm. scale, but uh, certainly a, a micro scale. And yeah, just you know, you read and you read and you read, and then all of a sudden you realize I'm not going to learn much more reading. I got to sort of do the do and uh yeah ordered a handful of pigs and and uh i was hooked i it didn't take long for pigs to uh to uh endear themselves to me they're my they're my favorite farm animal and uh yeah did that for six or seven years uh pastured pork uh poultry beef uh, we did eggs as well and, and a batch of turkeys every year but uh but yeah i i have i've really enjoyed working with with pork and uh, I think you mentioned in the intro, pastured pork. There is no other kind of pork. Um, I, I don't buy store bought pork pork anymore. I just I don't. It's not it's not good for you. Um, mm -hmm. 
and certainly we can we can get into the particulars there. But yeah, it's uh, I, I've never been huge uh, by any stretch, but I think the most pigs I've ever raised at one time was maybe twenty twenty five. Okay. Um, down to as few as you know three or four. Yeah. And are you doing like a? Uh, are you shipping pork? Are you do you have local uh, people who come pick up? Mm. How do you how do you sell it? Yep. Yeah, mo- mostly uh, we 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 started off as a food drop, sort of a modification on a CSA, uh, if you can imagine. So we had a buyers club. People would uh, make a deposit towards um, towards food. Uh, we we didn't make it a specific towards a certain animal or certain anything like that. We basically gave them farm credit, which I I think for even someone wanting to venture into homesteading or maybe scaling up just a little bit. Uh, makes a lot of sense, you know, bring your neighbors in and, and, and get them involved. But yeah, so we would do uh, food monthly food drops. Uh, I'm about two and a half hours outside of Atlanta. And so uh, a couple of metropolitan areas around, we would, uh, you know, that we, we, we used a uh, barn to door as a sort of an mm-hmm. online farming uh, e-commerce platform, uh, which, which I was tickled pink with. I, I didn't use them for the first year or two. I was doing everything on a spreadsheet and Man, yeah. that good, you know, collecting checks and all the fun things. So, yeah, we um, we would do a that was that would be the bulk of our sales would be these food drops, and then locally, I'm I'm in a small town in East Tennessee, so we had some local patrons that would come by, and you know, uh, sort of like the uh, they they write down what they took, and every month I'd go in and reconcile things. So, okay, yeah, awesome. So I would love to get into what you said about pastured pork being the only pork and what are the health concerns around conventionally raised pork? Why is that something you don't buy? Let's get into that, that meaty stuff. No pun intended. Yeah, sure. No, I, I, I love uh, chewing the fat about meat, if you will. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. So pigs, um, and this is an interesting segue if, if we have a chance to talk about Pharaoh toward the end, but yeah. p- pigs and humans Pigs and humans are so biologically identical. It's 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 rather hilarious. Um, we train our surgeons on them. Um, we use their organs inside our bodies. There's, there's a, a whole host of things um, in terms of the connection and and symmetry between humans and pigs. And so I always ask, you know, if you raised a human in an enclosed environment with no sun and gave them crap to eat, they would be very unhealthy very quickly. And that uh, that constitutes about ninety eight percent of the pork production in this country. Um, pigs metabolize, as an example, uh, the fat on a pig, a pastured pig, uh, the subcutaneous fat stores vitamin D, just like with humans. And uh, you know, a pastured pig will have arguably higher vitamin D content in its fat than any other mammalian species um, that that we eat. Uh, it's, you know, a pastured, uh, pig that has plenty of access to the sun because they metabolize it the same way. Um, they need fresh air. They need that pigs like to root, you know, this is one of their natural God given abilities. And so denying them that just adds stress to their life. And then again, just like in a, in a, if if you took a, a human population and put them in a factory environment, uh, you know, you're, you're elbow to elbow with all your best friends and, and can't go to the bathroom anywhere other than where you're standing. Uh, at some point, you know, if the person on the other side of the, the human house or the pig house gets sick, well, that's, that's going to run rampant through, uh, through your, um, 
indoor facility. And so uh, a lot of the industrial pork is fed garbage, absolutely garbage. And they are, they're monogastric animals, not to get too deep in the, in the, uh, how our GI system works, but the way they metabolize uh, food is very different than a ruminant species like a, a goat or a sheep or a cow. And so um, it, it's way more direct in terms of the toxicity or lack of nutrients in, a, in an omnivore monogastric animal than, say, a, 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 a cow. Sure. That makes sense. Okay. So, so they're fed garbage in an environment where they don't get sunlight. Again, you deny a human being sunlight for the entirety of their life and they will be sick and, and, and not, not worth much. And so we, we put them out on pasture. We, we, we don't, uh, movement is another big thing. You know, animals intuitively move. And you also don't want them to build up too much. Um, well, you don't want them standing in their own poop, yeah. right? So right. Poop, poop is a <laughs> manure is an asset and can be a liability. And just, just like pit, you know, they're very destructive, you know, I, for, for your homesteaders that are out there, this is not, well, you'll know this. You build a chicken coop. Chickens are omnivores, monogastric omnivores. You build a chicken coop and you don't move it. And in three months time, you have a moonscape because they have, they have eaten everything new that grew out of the ground and pigs, albeit a different type of destruction are that destructive. Yeah. Um, We have, we have raised pigs a number of times, usually every other year, every three years. And I always, it's tricky. We, we, we're, We've got our chicken operation down to a science. I use that term loosely because there's always room for improvement. And we do good with our cattle, but the pigs, I'm always like, oh, I just feel like we could do so much better. And they are, they are so destructive. I remember one year they got out and we had one of those swimming pools like that you, you buy at Walmart and it, you know, it has the big sides. It's like an adult can get in and they rooted around the base of the swimming pool and like collapsed the swimming pool. And it was, it was epic. And my husband was like, no more pigs. Uh, anyway, so. I get it. Well, let, let, can, can I ask you some questions then? Yes. Are you using any electric fencing or was it, was it a, a physical barrier? They were physical barriers and they were, it was yeah. cattle, it was cattle fencing. And we since have yeah. learned that doesn't work. So we put hog panels inside of our pins, but I don't want to get ahead of myself because I, I have my own personal questions about pasturing in <laughs> my environment. Cause I know like back East, you have trees, right? <laughs> and, and, and we have woods. a few, you have a few trees. I do not. I have, well, I have literally a few, um, but it's just a different, a different environment. But I guess let's start off by what does your pig operation look like? Or if, you know, in a perfect world, what would be the perfect way to raise a pig? Perfect. Using that term loosely again, but your yeah, ideal sure. way to raise a pig. Well, let's start with with an obvious answer. The good news about pigs is they're very resilient, very smart, and and highly adaptive to multiple climates. So whether you're in Wyoming or East Tennessee or up north or way down south, uh, they they don't like. I would say the further or the closer you get to the equator, the more you've got to pay attention to your pigs. Um, a, as with most animals, most animals can handle cold a lot better than they can hot. Um. The ideal pig situation. Well, first and foremost, let's keep this at maybe the homesteader level, shall we? Yes. 
yeah, that seems that seems appropriate. Yep. Um, okay, so first and foremost, I would say at a homesteader level, you're talking about seasonally raising pigs. So w- one batch a year, right? And, yep. and if you're going to time it, you're going to time it right. Uh, in, in my opinion, if you time it right, then you're harvesting your pigs in the late fall, early winter before it gets too terribly cold. Um, your average, I'm going to say heritage breed or any any variant cross of, of breeds. We, we worked with uh, old spots and red wattles predominantly and uh, occasionally, <clears throat> excuse me, occasionally worked with some large blacks. Um, these are just three breeds. You, you know, your listener can look those up. Now, the large blacks took a little longer to finish, candidly. They were about a nine month from birth to market weight. Mm, okay. Um, depending on, I would say, depending on a couple factors, but uh, uh, the males tend to finish a little sooner than the females uh, in in any breed, especially if you don't cut them. You know, if you if you yeah. keep their uh, sexual organs intact, um, they'll they'll just grow faster. And so, generally speaking, seven to nine months is your from from birth to to market weight, which for us was you know close to around three hundred pounds live weight. Um, so it's a seasonal thing, and uh, pigs like companions. So I when, when I talk about raising pigs, even at a homesteader level, don't get one pig. Yeah, um, you can get two. Uh, this, this gets into maybe bringing your neighbors in on the, on the fund, you know, getting them to underwrite some of the costs, but pigs are social animals. Uh, there's a lot of, there is a lot of work involved with pig. Um, it's not a lot of work every day, but it's work every single day. And so, you know, your time is valuable. Why not spread that time over two or three or four animals? Um, and so, yeah, we, we, the pastured setting shade seems to be a concern of yours. Yeah. Pigs are incredibly hard on anything you try to make yourself. I can just, uh, I, I tried making my own waterers. I tried making my own feeders. Yep. Um, as, as you've experienced, pigs are hard on stuff. And so uh, when it comes to water and feed, I would, I would strongly recommend, you know, Osborne makes a great little feeder that's, you know, holds maybe 250, 300 pounds. I think it's called their R2. Uh, and, and zero waste. The way these these pig feeders work is you waste literally no feed, which is fantastic. Um, there's a couple of field drinkers out there. Uh, this is another reason why you seasonally sort of cut it off in the winter. You don't have to worry about water freezing or anything like that. Yeah. And um, we fed, just to get into feed, we fed a non-GMO ration. Um, it was a fresh milled ration. Now, I would supplement that uh, as needed be. With uh, I think Tucker Milling is a non-GMO pelletized uh, feed manufacturer. I think they're out of South Alabama, but they ship. I don't know if they're nationwide, but they're they're ubiquitous around here. You can find them at Tractor Supplies. You can find them at a lot of feed stores. Um, and then you can also check into your into your you know your local co-op or hardware store or whatever the case may be. Um, so this this is one of the things about pigs, and, and you know, for your listeners and you, and you, you know this, you need to feed pigs. Uh, yeah. They're not they're omnivorous, and you know, if you want to go get a cooney cooney, they're a little bit smaller. They're more of a grazing pig, but you still got to feed pigs. They're not they're not a uh, grazing animal, and um, you know, fortunately, you know, any scratch they're sort of like chickens in this regard. Anything that comes out of your chicken uh, your kitchen that you don't want, 
a, a pig will find a use for it. Um, so, but we, we, we generally fed our pigs. This also helps with them finishing on time, you know, getting to that market weight and electric fencing. Okay. Uh, this is, this is the most critical piece. Uh, I mentioned how smart pigs are highly intelligent creatures which is a which is an asset when it comes to a what a, an electric fence is a psychological barrier it is not yeah. a physical barrier if you've ever seen uh for your listeners and you premier one supply is where yes. i get all and they have a super wonderful pig fit they've got a couple of different options um I, I don't think you need anything other than their lowest grade i think it's an 18 inch tall uh pig oh, netting okay. and so we we got get, their their taller chicken netting could that work as well to do double duty or do you need a, is it specifically for pigs that is a fantastic question i do not recommend poultry netting for pigs and, okay and here's why and you know this poultry netting rides the ground and it's loose and wavy that's yes. so one of the advantage one, one of the tricks to poultry netting is that the the, the the chicken cannot see through and focus its eyes beyond the fence because it's wavy and moves around. The problem with that is a, a chicken fence to protect the chickens doesn't need to be too hot, you know, in terms of the uh, voltage going yeah. through it. Right. Yeah. And so if it grounds here or there, it's okay. A, a pig fence needs to be hot. And I would say bare minimum, uh, three or 4,000, uh, you know, Bolts running through that. I can't, can't remember if it's volts or watts or whatever. You know, I, I get lost in all that. But but um, we would use a um, we would use a Speedrite six thousand uh, Energizer and uh, anything you're using for cows from an Energizer standpoint, you can repurpose for uh, pigs. But the point is, the wire never touches the ground, so there's no grounding. Uh, at all. So you're getting sort of a full charge distribution through that wiring. And, and the good news is it doesn't take, but one or two times of them touching that wire and they've learned their lesson. And then, and they, they sense the electric, I mean, they, they know exactly where that fence is, right? This is yeah. back to the smart animal. So, um, which is, which is a good point to bring up. Um, most feeder pigs, I, I've only met one in my tenure that trained the piglets so you know you've got a farrower over here and they have piglets and generally they're they're weaned at six to eight weeks and so you're getting this you know two month old piglet if they're not trained to electric fence that is that is job number one mm. and so you can put them in a i think you mentioned hog panels or cattle panels you can put them in a you can have a a, a welcoming corral for your new piglets, right? You know, enough space for them to run around and eat and do their thing for, you know, a week's time. But over in one corner, you know, set up a single wire, you know, make it hotter than the Dickens. Yeah. And then dump some acorns or corn or kitchen scraps on the other side of that wire and just let them learn, oh, this is, we don't mess with this. And, um, and so, yes, that's, that's job number one, train them to electric fence. Once you've done that, then it's twofold. Your pigs need to see you effectively every day or someone every day. Um, you know, we don't want a branch coming down on your, on your, you don't want the water going out. You don't want the feed running out. You don't want the, the, the line 
the, the electricity going out. So yeah. you're checking on them every day. So you really do develop a, they, and that they know who exactly who you are. And, um, but, but you want to, you want to move them around and keep them in that electric fencing. I, I would use in a pastured setting, you got to be a little careful with pasture because pigs will root. Yes. Um, I really love them on the edges of pasture. And, you know, again, for your listeners, if you've got wood lots, you're, you're good to go. But, um, but yeah, a couple of pigs, we'll just keep it at two to three pigs. They're going to take up, oh gosh, less than a 10th of an acre for maybe a week. You know, so you, what we would do, I'll just tell you what we would do is, uh, they sell this pig fencing in 100 foot sections. And so I would buy seven sections. And so I make a big square or some amalgus amoeba looking, right. But then you've got, then you've got the next paddock. So you've got four nets for the current paddock plus three more nets to latch on to the next paddock. And so you're just sort of hop skipping and jumping from one paddock to the next. Yes. And um, yeah, so that's, that's sort of all you need is a, and you can use a deep cycle battery on these energizers. You can get a solar energizer, which again, if you're going to do this seasonally, check your calendar, make sure you got enough sunlight depending on where you live to charge a solar energizer, but they work great as well. Okay. That makes sense. And that way you're not risking because I have tried herding pigs before and it, it is not an easy feat. Um, so that way you're not what you're, I'm just picturing your configuration. So you're just pulling out the middle section, scooting them over, and then you're rearranging your, uh, your panels. That seems pretty slick. Yes. And, and hungry pigs are motivated pigs. Yeah. Again, this, 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 this everyday contact, this everyday exposure is a really important thing. You bring them a couple treats every now and then, but we would use that. Uh, I think it was the R2, this Osborne, um, um, gravity drop feeder and you know you're monitoring the feeder well if if they've been in this paddock for say five days and uh we're gonna i i, I would typically you need to move your pigs at least weekly okay depending on weather and all that fun stuff sometimes it's eight or nine days sometimes it's three you know four or five okay. but you're you're generally planning on a weekly move okay, okay. and depending on how many pigs you got so a a, a a pig is going to eat between four and five pounds of food a day. Okay. Okay. And so you, you do your math, right? I got three pigs. That's 15 pounds a day. I got a week ahead. So that's 105 pounds of feed. So you get two 50 pound bags of feed. You dump them in your feeder. And if they're through that feed in five days, then you know, maybe bring them a snack, maybe let them root a little bit, earn their, earn their keep, but you let them get hungry. Okay. And then, and then, and then your feeder's really light. So you just drag it to the next paddock and you, uh, I tell you what works great. What works great is a, um, is a metal bucket or a plastic bucket with a little bit of corn in it. And every Mm. time you go see those pigs, you shake that bucket Make a little noise here, pig here, pig, and you toss a couple kernels of corn out. Those pigs will go anywhere you want them to go after about a month. Okay, and yeah, they are like you said, they're smart, so they're figuring out the cues pretty quickly. Just like training a dog. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, a couple questions. You mentioned your 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 ration. 
like your pelletized ration or, or whatever you're getting, is that just your typical like corn, wheat? Is that just going to have those ingredients in it? Or do you have any ingredients that you try to look for or avoid in those sorts of pre-mixed rations? The, the, uh, I, I would say draw the line starting at GMO versus non-GMO. Okay. okay. And again, this is one of the advantages to pigs is they are omnivorous. So they could sort of survive and, and in fact, thrive on a, on a variety of ratios between protein and uh, carbs and fat. Um, and so uh, I would say make sure you're using a non-GMO feed. If you want to go a step further than that, ideally, I would probably re- take the soy out of the feed first. Okay. There are those that'll tell you no corn, no soy, no this, no that. I don't, I, I don't subscribe to that per se. I think, I think once it's a non-GMO, that that gets us. You know, it's like balancing your checkbook to the penny. You yes. know, you can spend ten hours balancing it to the penny, or you can get it to the nearest dollar in about thirty minutes. So, um, yeah. So preferentially non-GMO. Below that, I would say uh, try to avoid soy. Okay. Um, and then beyond that, I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't speak to it, but. Okay. Do you, do you think it's possible? Cause I've heard people dance with this idea. Is it possible? Like on a homestead scale, let's say someone has two pigs, two to three pigs. Could you raise a pig, maybe a little slower than, than commercially to butchering weight in a reasonable amount of time, only on like kitchen scraps and just random scrap grain or are you really going to need that pelletized ration or some sort of ration to get you uh, to, to wait in a, at a reasonable amount of time? Well, the, f- the first answer to your question is I don't know because okay. I, I have never tried to do that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, but digging a little deeper into that, you know, if you had a family of 12, then may- maybe the food scraps are more, yeah. um, but 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 it's a good question because you can also check around to your local area if you've got a local brewer or distiller or uh, you know even a local. It's it's hard to do this with grocery stores now because there's certain depending yeah. on your state yeah. local laws. You know they can't throw away food. Um, but I would I would also add to that. I would I would add a warning of not all food from the grocery store you would eat. Yeah. So you shouldn't necessarily be feeding that to your pigs, but uh, you know, can it be done? Jill, the, the beauty of pigs is yes. I, I, sure. I think you could do it. You know, it depends on your acreage. You know, you could, if you had a, a if you had a ton of acreage and, um, and could let those pigs work hard for their food. If you had a ton of, you know, hardwoods, lots of oak, lots of acorns, various things. Is it possible? Absolutely. But then again, you get into the balance. Okay, well, is it going to take us twelve months? Now we're getting into winter. Water's freezing. Yeah. You know, there's a, a properly fed pig. A properly fed pig will finish in seven to nine months okay. at a weight of two hundred and fifty to three hundred twenty five pounds, which is you know, at the end of the day, our goal is to is to put meat in the in the cooler, so to speak. And also avoid as many headaches as possible. And so yeah. this is one of the this is one of the balancing acts with pigs because you you do have to feed them. And so yeah. it's 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 not necessarily an ideal homesteading animal for everyone. But I would I would certainly enjoy trying to do it with enough land and enough forage 
and just scraps out of the kitchen. Yeah. I think it's going to be one of those things. I, as much as I want to like make it into a formula, I think it's going to be something that people have to like, like you said, what kind of land do you have? What kind of resources do you have? Do you have a, a brewery in your area where you could get spent grains? Like it's going to be a case by case situation where it might work beautifully for some, someone like me, it's a little bit trickier just with where I live and what, what I have available. But um, I think people could get creative potentially depending on their situation. So if anyone's listening and you well, figured I, it out, like, let me know. I, I can give you a creative idea. Okay. Uh, Cause we tried, we tried this now again, it doesn't sound like it would work in your area, but if you're, if you're in a part of the world that has a lot of Oaks um, and a lot of acorns, especially near a, a city center, then um, you know, and if you've got kids, this is a great fun project for kids. You know, a year in advance or a fall in advance of your uh, pig project, you you start collecting acorns and you put mm. put it out in the neighborhood. You know, we'll pay. You know, we'll do something. We'll we'll give you some bacon. We'll you know you 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 invite people to participate. I had we've got several neighborhoods around here where the acorns are a problem because they accumulate, they get down on the road, and you can literally go by with a flathead shovel and fill. Mm. buckets of these and and they'll keep uh for a fairly substantial amount of time so for the cost of you know a couple of super sacks or a you know some plastic bins or something like that you could in theory build up you know a, a ton or half a ton worth of acorns and uh your pigs will love you forever for that so you you can plan ahead in certain circumstances to to acquire most of your feed locally and naturally I like that idea. Uh, I also cannot imagine having acorns on the road because we have no acorns here, but that's a cool problem to have that ends up, you know, creating a neat feed source. So I like that idea. Hey friends, I'm just interrupting this episode for a second to give a shout out to our other sponsor, the Modern Homesteading Conference. So this is really exciting because up until now, all the big homestead conferences and events mostly happened on the East Coast. And that meant if you live out West, then you're either driving a long ways, you're flying a long ways. And that just makes things a lot more complicated when you have animals and gardens and all the things as we do. However, that is changing this year. So the Modern Homesteading Conference is a brand new event. It's going to be held in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. It's live and it's two full days filled with your favorite homesteading experts like Joel Salatin, Homesteading Family, Melissa K. Norris, Anne of All Trades, Farmstead Meatsmith, and many, many more. I was looking at their website and it's a great lineup of speakers. So not only are you going to get all that valuable knowledge and the skill sets that are going to help you be more self-sufficient no matter where you live, but you also get the bonus opportunity to enjoy a concert by Grammy award-winning farmer and filmmaker, Rory Feek. You know, I love Rory. He's been on my podcast. He visits our homestead every year. He's a dear friend. So that's a big treat. All the homestead knowledge by day and a concert with Rory at night. So classes will include raising a family milk cow, on-site live butchering and curing demos. Like that's pretty darn cool. Homestead income classes, four-season gardening, cheese making, homeschooling, sustainable agriculture, and tons more. So don't miss out. Tickets are on sale now. Head on over to their website to see all that is included in the event and to save your ticket. That website is modernhomesteading.com. And now back to our episode. Okay, so... I would love to hear your thoughts on the feasibility of raising pigs in a pastured setting where I live. Cause I feel like 
whenever I picture pastured pigs, I think of Joel Salatin's setup and the pictures I've seen. And it is like pig heaven. I just picture the, the creeks and the trees and it's this lush grass. And I'm like, that is the perfect place to raise pigs. And then I go outside to my pasture uh, where high plains grassland. It's a Mm-hmm. very dry environment. We get grass coming up, you know, in the spring. And once it gets eaten down, it doesn't really come back very well until mm-hmm. the next year, right? Just how we roll. We're, buff- we're Buffalo country. Bus- we had Buffalo here. And so I'm picturing uh, pu- putting pigs out there and I'm thinking they're going to, they they'll just destroy it. Like they'll root it up and we'll be, it's all said and done. So in your experience, is it feasible for someone like me and my climate to have them moving around my pasture with electric fence or should I maybe stick with beef? Well, um, there's a couple ways to go there. I I would say you can definitely, you can definitely, they can definitely share the pasture. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I, I wouldn't want pigs on your land before you've had the chance to graze it. If you know, if you, if your if your grazing situation due to your arid climate is a one and done situation or yeah. maybe a two and done situation, then you know, you're gonna have to be a little bit more strategic. Now, I will tell you, pigs are great, similar to chickens, but not quite as good, uh, running behind um mm. your your ruminants, right? Because they're they're gonna go through that manure checking for bugs and all sorts yeah. of things, just, just like a chicken will. Um, and, and, and the grass is, you know, it's, it's beaten down from the grazing it just got. Um, I, again, I don't have experience specifically with, with grazing in your climate. Uh, sure. I, I can tell you another thing to consider uh, might be wringing the pig's nose um, oh, or okay. finding le- like a, like a cooney cooney is, I, I mentioned them specifically because, they're more of a grazing pig. They've got a flat nose and they, they don't do as much digging as they do uh, uh, chewing. But um, and it's it, it's also time. You know, if, if you're willing to if you got a system and you're willing to get those pigs moved from one spot to another, you know, in, a, in two or three days time, uh, they're, they're not going to destroy much. Uh, okay. that, I'm, now, I'm not saying they're not going to root because that's what pigs do. But sure. the thing you want to try to avoid, uh, Jill, is. If there is something two feet down under the ground that that pig smells and it wants it and it's there for a week, it's going to go get it. Yeah. If you've got a low spot that gets really, really wet, it's yep. it's going to be a mud puddle yep. Yep. Uh, in, in very short order. And so um, the only thing I would tell you and your climate with your is to make sure and you can build one of these just a really low to the ground type shade structure. Okay. Um, again, with a couple pigs, you think about like a wheelbarrow size thing. I mean, you don't need much, oh. but shade is going to be important for them. Sure. Yeah. Cause we are, it, it's, it's hot. I mean, we're high plains, we're high elevation and that sun's brutal in the, in the summer. So that would make sense. Something mobile that we could move around. Okay. This is giving me more of, a, of, of an idea than I, than I thought was possible. So this is good. We might just have to be creative. So. Well, and, and, and so so follow me here. This is the stuff I love to do. So in your climate, if you can get a hand, your hands on an old like silage wagon chassis or something like that, something you could pull with a four wheeler. Okay, so it's got it's heavy, okay. but it's low to the ground. In theory, you could put a, a water tote on top of that thing, right? And and some shade, and even even a storage bin for your feed, so you're not hauling feed out to the pigs every you know week or something like that, but. 
you could house a bunch of stuff up high. When I say up high, I'm talking like three feet off the ground yeah, on the top yeah. of that silage wagon chassis. Gravity feeds some water into uh, into your um, waterer, and um, and then you, you know you just roll out there, hook it up to a four wheeler, and pull it to the next. I, I promise you, they'll follow you. So you sort of yeah. self contain everything. Um, all, all in one, it, it needs to be heavy duty because the pigs will rub up against it and do what pigs do. Um, so the wheelbarrow analogy probably wasn't the best one, but yeah, it's, it's doable. Okay. I like that, that having the water tote there. Cause that's the other question. My husband and I go around and around cause we, everyone we know, or a lot of the people we know doing regenerative stuff are back East, right? In Tennessee or in Virginia or in these places that are beautiful and lush. And we also don't have live water very often here live water is a, a luxury so you know i love mm. joel especially when he's like well just dig a pond just put in a pond and i'm like but joel that doesn't that doesn't work here we could dig a pond and it would there would be nothing in it so you know we have to get creative with our water so being able to fill a tote with a, and haul it out with a four-wheeler and then water that way is also a yeah. good helpful idea because we can't run lines as easily and the hydrants are a long ways away from the end of the past. Well, yeah, and 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 you know, you're talking about like a tenth or a, a, even a quarter of an acre for your pigs. Okay. Um, right, and so you know, yeah. again, back to this, we got a couple. I don't. How how much how much land do you guys have? We have 67 acres here around our homestead, and we we okay. lease. We have our our beef herd. We lease ground uh, down the road, so that's where all the, yep. the big herd is. But we just have our our homestead animals just here on 60 60 ish acres. So. Yeah, so just making this about you for a second, that'll help your listener too. So two pigs, they'll, they'll need a tenth of an acre at most, but go ahead and give them a quarter acre, right? Okay. Uh, give them a quarter acre for a week or give, give them whatever. Let's see, what is that? A hundred feet by a hundred feet. So a thousand, <laughs> give, give them, a, let's just say you give them a quarter acre. You can come back to that quarter acre if you need to in about 10 weeks. Okay. And now, now I'm I'm giving you estimates because your climate's different than mine, sure. but um, you know, over here we, we can come back in about ten weeks, eight to ten weeks, and so okay. you could, in theory, contain your porcine exploits into you know quarter acre times ten, right? So two and a half acres. That's not much. I mean, that's doable. That's not much. Yep. And then the thing I would add to that is, and this is just an interesting play with pigs, is uh, is running them along the fence line um, mm. or, or your fence lines or if you've got any yeah. tree lines or anything like that, running them along stuff where, where you might want them to sort of disturb it a little bit, like under yeah. fence lines and things like that. Um, I got to a point where so the electric netting, the, the pig netting that you're you're certainly familiar with, I would run the netting and then I would run a single line under or through uh, permanent fencing, you know, like a three-strand, yeah. four-strand barbed wire fence. I'd run a single line low under the okay. fence and connect it on the other side. So the pigs, if they if they needed to or wanted to, they could get under the 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 permanent fence. Mm -hmm. But then there was there was a stopgap of fence on the other side. But what you'll find is they'll dig around underneath that fence. You know, oftentimes that's the least tended to ground. So there's uh, yes. some interesting things that they may explore in there. So that's that's okay. something to think about. That's a good idea because we do have barbed wire on the perimeter. And I have learned pigs don't care about barbed wire. 
they pretend like it's not there. So we could just fence right around it and it'd be great. <laughs> so, okay. This is, this is so good. Cause I, I did not think this was a possibility. I just thought, well, I don't have woods, so I'm up a crick, but, um, I'm sensing possibility here. So I like it. How do you, do you have any formulas or ways for people to figure how many pigs they would need to feed a family? If they're, if they're looking at adding pigs to their homestead this year. Yep. So I don't know that I have formulas, but a 300 pound market weight pig is going to yield you. We'll, we'll make the math conservative and, and easy. <laughs> it's going to yield you roughly 200 pound hang weight. Okay. Okay. Now in a homestead setting, uh, we're assuming then that you're, you're the one dispatching, uh, on the, on the one bad day, obviously you can take yeah. it to a, a processor, but, uh, and I, I, I recommend folks, uh, if they, if they're going to do this, that they should, they should participate directly in, in the, uh, the one bad day. Uh, yeah. so, and then, then the next factor is, do you have a meat grinder and various other tools that allow you to sort of turn, you know, big bulky cuts into more manageable cuts. But yeah, you'll 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 net anywhere from 125 to 150 pounds of finished meat from a from a uh from a 300 pound market weight pig. So I, I I'll let those numbers drive the math formula for all of your yeah. listeners, you know, how many you're feeding and how often now the the one caveat there is that I'm not including is all of the additional probably back fat um cuz again I'm I'm talking about finished meat products which you know your pork chops will have a fat cap on them your yeah. your hams will have you know your your belly you know that'll that'll have some fat on it but um but yeah you'd probably get another 10 or 15 pounds of just pure back fat off of a carcass that big and of course you render that turn it into lard and now you're yeah cooking the rest of your your food with it so yeah the only thing you can't yeah. use on a pig is the squeal they say yep yeah they're they're it's pretty amazing how um how useful they are do you do you have a breed i know you mentioned several breeds if that is like kind of your go-to homestead recommendation in terms of of breeds well i i have direct experience with large blacks with um with red wattles and old spots um if if i were going to start a homestead tomorrow um especially if i'm in maybe the colder climates i would consider maybe a mangalitsa although i okay. i hear because i've never run mangalitsas i hear they take a little longer uh okay. so again this is back to your situation if you're going to do this on the seasonal uh front then um I would maybe maybe stay away from mangalitsas. And, and and again, if you're not carrying this animal through the winter, you, you, we're not worried about how hairy they are or not hairy they are. But um, sure, those are the three breeds that I'm most familiar with. Now you've got your Durox, you've got your Berkshires. Berkshires are another one I've I've heard great things about. I've never run them myself. Um, okay. A lot of pig selection, Jill is uh, is phenotype versus um versus looks so you, you think torpedoes like the large blacks and i, I want to say the mule foots to some degree 
and maybe even the Berkshires are a little bit more torpedo-like, which is okay. think long, big bellies. And then your old spots, your red wattles, your Durox, these are more uh, squattier fire hydrants, and, okay. and you're going to get a bigger ham. Um, and again, in the homesteading situation, I, I would point, I, I don't think you can go wrong with most breeds. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Cause I know I, I, I've looked in the past for some of the more heritage breeds locally and it was pretty tough for us to find here. So I think it probably just depends on the area and what you can get. Would you say yeah. that getting a conventional breed and feeding it well, pasturing it is still better than not raising pork at all? Oh, I, I would say that. Sure. Okay. Um, you know, they, it's, it, they, they haven't bred the pig out of the pig. Okay. They, they, they've bred a lot out of the pig. Uh, yeah. I, I don't see a lot of conventional, you know, what are the, the light pink hairless pigs? I, I don't see many of those, but, um, but I would say that they would respond well in a pastured environment because they haven't bred the pig out of the pig. Um, okay. the problem's not the pig, the problem's the environment, if that makes sense. Yes, that does make sense. Yes. So we can, we can definitely affect that change in our, on our homesteads. When we're talking about environment. Yes. And okay. if one of your yeah. listeners does that and reports into you, I want to hear about it. I will pass it along for <laughs> sure. We'll start our own little pig uh, case study here. There we go. Okay. So this is the question I'm dying to ask you. The elephant in the room for some. Um, occasionally, not all the time, but more often than you'd think when I'm in like whole food circles, like people who are eating healthy and, and mindful about their diets and such. There's, there is some hate around pork. There is people who are, you know, cognizant of what they're eating. And they're like, you know what? I love grass finished beef. I love pasture poultry, but I don't do pork. It's not healthy. It's trash meat. Uh, and I always, I never know what to say to that. So I'd love mm. your thoughts on that topic. Well, um, around these parts, we have a saying, bless your heart. And love, you can like always that. just <laughs> respond with bless your heart. Um, yes. So no, there's, there's, there's actually some, some real history behind this. So it, um, a lot of, a lot of it starts with a lot of the religious texts mm -hmm. and candidly, uh, you know, this, you never see pork tartare on the menu, right? Yeah. Okay. You never see chicken tartare on the menu. And this gets back to our earlier conversations. Monogastric omnivores metabolize things differently and they store things and how they're fat and, and, and everything um, are different. And so from a from a evolutionary perspective, if you ate undercooked pork, OK, or mollusks, you know, you see a, a, yes. the bottom feeders, right? A lot of these if you ate these things a thousand years ago and they weren't cooked properly, you were dead. So yes. in the in the in the context of religious writings and stories and 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 folklore telling a story of safety and and species perpetuation you would find a good reason to say don't eat this animal because you know we didn't know what trigonosis was a long time ago. Yeah. You can eat raw beef, you can eat raw lamb, you can eat raw goat. Now, if it's been sitting around for a while, it's going to not smell so good, right? It's, so there's yes. a rancidity that comes along to tell you, oh, maybe I shouldn't eat that. But raw pork, 
can carry things in it. Can, doesn't always, but can carry things in it where if it's not cooked properly, you're getting sick. And so I don't, you know, no more than I'd want to talk a Hasidic Jew out of accepting Christ as his savior. I, I don't, I try to stay away from these arguments. And again, bless your heart. You eat what you want to eat. Fair enough. Yeah. But I understand, I understand the hesitation in eating pork because, I mean, hell, there's people that tell you not to eat meat, right? And they're, sure, sure. <laughs> they've got their food is religion. Jill, you you know this as it well is. as anybody. Amen. And so yes, it is. this is this is my this is my answer to you to address the elephant in the room. I, I I do think there's a problem with pork if it's raised in an industrial house. I wouldn't eat that, and I would make sure that you're doing everything you can to either properly cook your pork, or and this is we haven't talked about this, but also properly cure your pork because. Mm. That is the homesteading advantage as far as I'm concerned. Okay. I I just, let me tell you a quick story. So yes. uh, about four and a half years ago, um, because I'm, I'm, I'm growing pigs and I'm growing them to sell as meat. And I had this bottleneck situation come along where I had, I think it was five pigs scheduled to go to market, go to the butcher. And I only had like two of them sold. And so I had to make some real fast decisions. And so one of the decisions, I would normally take the hams and grind them up. That's our sausage and ground pork. And so I, I'm very fortunate to live near uh, Benton uh, Country Smoked Ham. If you're not familiar with Benton, you can look them up, Alan Benton. And so I took these pigs to the butcher. And um, I, you also have to... Uh, if you're going to cure hams, especially the the skin has to be on. So we, maybe we hop back on about scalding and scraping lessons and stuff like that. Uh, uh, for I'd love to come back on again. I this, this yeah, has been absolutely. an absolute pleasure. And so, um, but you scald and scrape so that you can leave the skin on. But I, I requested the hams and the shoulders from three of these pigs whole, right? Just. I'll come get them whole, you know, the pork chops you can cut up. It's not a problem for me to sell those, but I just, I can't handle all this ground pork and sausage in my freezers right now. And I took sure. all those, I took those, it was, it was six hams and six shoulders because it was two from each animal to, to Alan and he cured them, country salt cured them, smoked them and gave them back to me in six months. Okay. Okay. okay that was four and a half years ago, Jill. Yeah. This December. I've had to move around a few times and these, these hams have hung in basements and barns. I mean, they've just, they've lived the rock star life for the last three or four years. And we were having a, a new year's day party. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm going to pull this thing. I was covered in mold. Cause that's what happens to country yep. covered in mold, white vinegar and water, scrape, scrape that thing off. We, I, I thought it would be rotten. You know, I mean, I don't yeah. know any better. This, this piece of meat's been hanging for four years. It Holy was Holy the God. most delectable prosciutto I've ever eaten in my life. Every bit of the meat on that thing. So, so from a homesteading perspective, you know, you raise them seasonally, take a ham, salt it, smoke it, hang it. You're, you're, you're building food reserves, you know, for, for a rainy day. And, Without um, a freezer. Like you don't have to have oh, a freezer, right? No, like electricity no freezers. Free. Now, yeah. Now, now, 
Now, again, I, just back to the seasonality of pork, right? What I would recommend is that you're without a freezer or HVAC because when Alan Benton cures my hams for me, he's doing it in a temperature climate controlled environment for that first few months, right? Yes. And so right. this is why historically hogs were raised in the summer and slaughtered in the fall is because now you had this oncoming three to four to five months of cold weather. The salt does most of the work, but what you want to help it as much as you can. And so, uh, but yeah, once that cure has, has set, I mean, they're, they're good to go. That's we, we do. I do need to have you back on. Could we do another episode on like the ins and outs of curing and scalding and all of those things? Cause I think that would be super helpful. Um, I have dabbled, yeah. but I feel very insecure in my knowledge on those areas. Um, I, yeah, I'm so a dabbler to too, but I, I, yeah, yeah, I can, I can speak from experience, but I'm, I'm not a pro by any stretch, but I have good That's books okay. and, and some hands-on experience. I bet you know more than I do. So I, I will tell <laughs> you, I have a confession. Once upon a time, I, I had the book and I had a whole a whole leg and I did all the things and I did a, a salt cure to make prosciutto and I hung it in our unfinished basement and it was it's cool down there and dark right it's kind of creepy because it's a, it's unfinished basement I had this like leg wrapped in um, cheesecloth or whatever and my husband was appalled because he's like every time I bring a repairman down there it looks like we're serial killers because there's body parts hanging from this basement but anyway. Um, I got scared. This is so sad. I got scared and it had little, like, I think flies had burrowed in and I didn't unwrap it and I threw it away after a year and I still feel horrible for doing that. And it would probably was fine. So I've confessed my sins now, but I'd like to redeem myself at some point. So we will talk about that on a future episode. You are, uh, Jill, you are forgiven. Thank you. I feel better. So I listen, my, uh, my grandfather, so my my family's background is in the dairy business, and my grandfather we had this Benton Country smoked ham right here in our backyard, and he he came to sort of national prominence in the late nineties, early two thousands, but he's been around forever. And my grandfather, we were in the dairy business, and you know you know a lot of the dairy is sort of northeast, you know dairy pricing set out of yeah you know Pennsylvania and all 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 these things. So he'd have these big clients, and he'd send them a country ham and sometimes by the time it would get up there it would have some mold on it and they would just throw it away thinking it was oh, bad and yeah. you know it's just yeah when you, you don't, don't know, know what you don't you know, don't know. <laughs> no i know oh now we know no better do better so that's what we're doing so um, well yeah so if that happens again jill if it okay. happens again the, the only thing i'll tell you is when it's time to cut it open, you'll know if it's bad or not. Okay. Okay. You'll and that's know. what I was unsure of. I'm like, is there botulism in this? And I won't know it. But it this would be like, you, your nose will tell you if it's bad. I, I, that is that is my opinion of the things. I, I'm not yeah. a deep reader. And I've got, uh, I've got plenty of experience in, in the curing and, and enjoyment side of this. But sure. um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, there's so much when I think of what our ancestors did and mostly survived. I'm like, we're, you know, we get so nervous with food safety and I appreciate food safety and I understand a lot of the rules, but I think we get really skittish. I'm talking about myself sometimes unnecessarily just because of, uh, you know, our modern sensibilities around food. So 
just that rethinking of what's normal and what's natural and what did our ancestors do and how was this done before refrigeration? The swine is divine for that reason. Yeah, yeah. This amazing animal. So this this time has gone extremely fast and it has been amazing. But before we jump off, I really, really want to talk to you about um, a topic. I, I don't think I've heard anyone else speak to this. Maybe I just live under a rock, but lard as skincare. I am very familiar with beef tallow as skincare. But when I first got an email from you, I'm like, oh my goodness, he is, he's doing the lard thing. So talk to me about this. Um, I know it's so good for your skin. Can you explain why we would want to use lard on our skin? Because I think some people might hear that and go, weird. Like, why am I putting fat on my face? And maybe talk through, is, is it different than beef tallow? Is it similar? Like, what's the scoop on that? Sure. So, um, mentioned this earlier, pigs, pigs are so biologically close to us that um, we train our surgeons on them and use pig parts in human bodies. So. When we start getting into skincare, okay, so the, 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 the three big things with skincare, uh, our skin is our second stomach, okay? It's, mm-hmm. it's called that. A lot of people refer It's our largest organ, and it eats things. Um, if you've ever run up against a poison ivy uh, bush, uh, you realize very quickly that your skin consumes some oil that it might not have wanted to do, right? And so, so... The because of the biological mimicry with pigs, the the lard's pH. So skincare, you got pH needs to be a spot on match. We check that box. The lipid profile, okay. So the the ratio of saturated monounsaturated polyunsaturated fats in within the fat, okay, is is a determinant factor in sort of absorption and how much your skin will want to eat it, okay. And then the third thing is vitamins and minerals, right? And and the the trifecta in skincare is vitamins A, E, and D. Okay. Well, for your listeners, pigs metabolize A, E, and D mechanistically the same way humans do. Pigs also take that stored or harvested metabolized vitamins and they store them in their subcutaneous fat. Okay. Quick, quick fat lesson. So Lard is rendered back fat, belly fat from a pig, subcutaneous fat, okay? The tallow that, that is common, most common and ubiquitous in, in, in the world, tallow is rendered kidney fat from beef, okay? okay. That, is, that is visceral fat, okay? Now, I'm not here bemoaning tallow. I think it's great. We actually use tallow in our products, hmm. but we say here that the lard works in mysterious ways. It, it does for a number of reasons. One is because of the biological mimicry between pigs and humans. Okay. So your, your, your skin, your biology recognizes this fat as, as effectively its own. All right. Okay. The reason there's a couple reasons why I think we don't see lard in skincare. And I, I'm the first guy in town. Lord, I've been to Weston A. Price Foundation conferences. I've been to, no no one's it blows my mind that nobody thinks about this. But lard is 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 pigs are tough because if you don't raise a pig right, it's going to metabolize a, a poor environment just the same way it would metabolize a healthy environment. 
And because, Jill, it's subcutaneous fat, okay? Again, tallow is over here viscerally in, in beef. It, it almost doesn't matter what you feed beef. Like you can raise a conventional beef. You can raise a grass-finished beef. The, the mineral content and the vitamins, which are great in tallow, are going to stay about the same. It's the subcutaneous fat. So for, for your listeners, you'll know this. You go to the store and you buy a store-bought steak, okay? The, the fat on the ribeye is white. If you go buy a grass-finished steak, the fat on the, on the ribeye is yellow. That is beta carotene or the lack of beta carotene. And so what happens in an industrial feedlot with a cow is they're fed garbage, right? Effectively garbage that is devoid of beta carotene. And so for that last two or three months that it is being fattened up and finished in a feedlot, it is slowly drawing down on its beta carotene stores in its subcutaneous fat to, to survive. Okay, so I hope I'm making sense here, but subcutaneous fat versus visceral fat are just different fats. The beauty of the pig is if you raise them right and you feed them right and they got plenty of sun, they're storing all of that proactively in their subcutaneous fat. Now, we use it's such a great we use leaf lard. So leaf lard is the pig equivalent of tallow. So it's the visceral kidney fat. And if you look in your old homesteader books, anybody that's got one, a Firefox series or any of these old ones, leaf lard was prized for baking because it's visceral. So there's no storage component. So the pig's not storing uh, acorn smell or any of this stuff. So leaf lard is odorless and colorless, and it does not impart that on your pie crust or your biscuits or anything that you're baking, right? Yes. We use so we have a we have a face food product and a skin food product. Okay. I use more leaf lard in our face food product because it's up by your nose. Ah, uh, okay. Colorless and, and odorless. Within reason. I mean that I tell we have a scented and an unscented product. We don't have an odorless product because sure. it's animal fat. Yeah. But um, but yes, I'm I'm amazed by the day that no one sort of picked up on this. We're we're the first one in town. The lard does work in mysterious ways, and yep. um, and I I I I've, I don't know what our time looks like today, but I, I could go on for hours. And this is something that people can use as a face cream, as a body lotion, just like they would use any other lotions, and they're going to see. To say, like, what are they going to, what are they, what can they expect when they use this? Sure. So a little goes a very long way. S- similar to tallow. Again, your, yes. your listeners may be familiar with tallow. Here's one thing they're going to, they're going to expect. So tallow, and again, we use some tallow in our product. Tallow at room temperature is, is hard, yes. which is why you see it in a lot of bombs and salves. Okay. Um, lard at room temperature is not, it's soft and, and very creamy. And so, you, you know, you, you open a jar of our stuff, you're not, you're not having to dig down in with your finger, okay? Uh, a little okay. goes an incredibly long way. Um, you know, I, we, we tell people take a pea-sized, you know, portion of our cream and start rubbing it into your skin. It will, it will soak in almost immediately. You know, again, it depends on your climate and sort of how dry your skin is. Um, 
but I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. We, I mean, I haven't had razor burn in two years. I get emails about eczema, psoriasis, chelitis. Uh, I, the, the, the origin story of Pharaoh, which is on our website, I got a really nasty sunburn and then an act mm. of desperation sort of lathered up with some lard and lo and behold, you know, miracle. So it, it's highly effective. Uh, I, you know, again, aftershave, Lord, it's in my hair right now. I use it as sort of a pomade. <laughs> it's, yeah, we've actually got a, our new product. I, I, I'll tell you is Epic Dermis, um, is, is launching here in the next, um, next couple of weeks for pre-order. It's, I think it's live on our site now. And so, yeah, we're, we're the first lard game in town and it's exciting. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story real quick. Um, yeah, so yeah. my, my cousin, he's my, my dearest cousin in the world. He's, he's sort of a junker antique guy. Right. And, um, he lives down in Georgia. They have beautiful, this beautiful farm and I go down and visit all the time. And I never, his house is so amazing. Like just all this old antique arts. I mean, he just has an amazing eye. And it, I, the last couple of times I was down there, I noticed. So one of the things that they've collected over the years are old lard cans. Mm. Now your listeners may not be familiar with this, but I'll tell you what they do know. Everyone knows about the can of popcorn that comes every Christmas, right? This big, tall, right round it's got three partitions you got caramel cheese and regular popcorn you know so something yep. something that big well th- he's got lard cans from the turn of the century okay so jill i want you to imagine i want you to imagine going to the store in your downtown little <laughs> village on the prairie okay yep. and coming home with a, a, I, i'll send you a picture they were selling cans of 50 pounds 50 oh pound gosh. cans of lard. This was like, go to your local, you know, store. Yep. And so, you know, talk, talk, talk about, talk about why do we, why do we need so much skincare now? Every, every human being on the planet that didn't have a servant or maid 150 years ago was elbow deep in a can of lard. Yeah. Like yep. on the daily, like yep. on the daily. And if they weren't need to, if they weren't elbow deep in, in lard, they were elbow deep in the carcass of a deer or, or a, a pig or something that, you know, d- either dad or brother or sister or somebody had brought this animal carcass home, right? It was time to turn that yeah. into food. And so, you know, we were, we were elbow deep and covered in visceral and subcutaneous animal fat for for a very very long time, and so anyway, I, I see these I see these tens in his house. I mean, Lord, he's turned some of them into can lights. It's amazing, but we forget like this was this was the cooking fat that you went to yes. the store to get at the turn of the century. Yep. And now it's funny how it's been demonized so much, you know, it, and I feel it's coming back around, but good old Ansel Keys. Thank you, Ansel Keys, for, for yeah. taking us away from the lard. That's a whole nother topic, but, um, bless yeah, his heart. Was, well, you know what, you, you, actually, actually you got to blame Procter and Gamble. A- mm, Ansel okay. Keys came later. Uh, yeah. when I got in this skincare, I, so I spent 10 or 15 years in the nutrition paleo space, right? So I've always, yeah. I've always thought that that Crisco was the first introduction of seed oils into our lexicon, into our world. Yeah. 
Turns out it was actually soap and candles. That oh. was where hydrogen that was where hydrogenated cottonseed oil came from. It was soap nice. and candle. It, you would love this thread. It was soap yeah. and candles at the turn of the century. Okay. okay. Procter and Gamble went all in on cottonseed because in the decade before there was this huge like price fixing deal with the tallow and lard people. So Procter and Gamble's oh. like, to hell with y'all. We're going to try and figure out how to make soap and uh, and candles out of cottonseed. And so they went all in. They bought all these cottonseed manufacturers in Texas. And what happens at the turn of the century? The light bulb. Now, all of a sudden, the prospects of candle sales don't look so good. They team up with a German scientist. They figure out how to hydrogenate cottonseed oil. Okay. And they they... They bleach it white and market it as the greatest, newest, cheapest, best cooking oil. And they make it look like lard. I mean, you can go find yeah. these old ads. I never thought that it was actually the skincare, you know, soap and stuff. like. I, I never thought yeah. that soap was really where we got this garbage from. But that's 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 the origin story. That I did not know any of that. That is fascinating. I'm gonna have to go do some some research now. That's fascinating. And now we think it's so normal. It's like, oh, who would you would use lard? That's barbaric. <laughs> it's just well, funny it, how so fast so we why lard? So so I think tallow. Well, tallow is ubiquitous, right? We we raise yeah. a lot. We let, raise and slaughter a lot of a lot of beef in this country, and it's it's visceral fat, so you can yep. source it, and it's it's not going to be toxic. But tallow also, it sounds a little more je ne sais quoi. You know, it it's does. got a little bit more, you know, oomph to it. Lard is lard. And, yep. um, and, and by God, we are embracing it. Uh, we are, we yes, are, are. Uh, we, we are, <laughs> for your listeners that don't know, our, our website is pharaoh.life and there's pigs everywhere. And we are, the lard works in mysterious ways. So you, you have the best slogans. I was very impressed with your branding. Top notch, good job on your on your naming and your slogans. I thought it was super clever. So, thank you. Oh, oh my goodness, this has been amazing. We are. I, I want to be respectful of your time because I know you have lots of things going on. Um, man, can you point people? You said Pharaoh.life is your website address. Is that where they can shop for your products as well, or is there somewhere else they should be looking? No, that's we're we're just direct to consumer through our website. So e commerce. Awesome. Um, it, for for your listeners, uh, if you sign up for our email list, we send you a, a code to um, to save fifteen percent off your first order. So um, okay. you know there's there's a little incentive there, and uh, yeah, we've got, we're on we're on Instagram and Twitter. I, there's links on our website. That the, the website's really the best place to go uh, sure. to start. And uh, yeah, no, we're I and, and I, again at the homesteading level, I, there's videos out there of me making this stuff you know, showing people how to make it at home. Um, you know, the beauty of raising pigs on your homestead is you're going to have some yeah. amazing fat back and, uh, and kidney fat to render down and, and cook with or turn into whatever you want. So it makes a yeah. hell of a soap. Um, yeah. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, guys. So go to pharaoh.life, check out what Charles is doing and then sign up for that email list, get 15% off. We're going to put all that info in the show notes as well. Um, this has been so good. Thank you, Charles. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for your wisdom. And I feel very inspired to go have a conversation with my husband tonight 
about pigs. So <laughs> wish me luck. You, so you're you're gonna get me in trouble. I'll be like Charles said. We need to do it. Don't worry. I won't throw <laughs> you under the bus. So J- Jill, it, it has truly been an honor, and, and I I don't know that all your guests do this, but I it. You, what you have done and built with your your channel and all the information you put out is is truly amazing. It is it is an absolute pleasure to be here. I would love to come back on and talk pigs more. And um, if the winds should blow me Wyoming's way, I would love to come by and see your sixty acres and meet the family. Absolutely, we will definitely have you back on. And thank you for the kind words. And yeah, come on out anytime you're Wyoming way. We will have you out for a milkshake at the soda fountain and give you a tour. So 